0: Take God's word in your hands and turn to the the book of Colossians uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, turn in the pew Bible uh, that's in the pew rack in front of you to page 984 as we continue in our series that we've entitled Preeminent, uh, a study out of the book of Colossians. And we're in the second part of our series, in in, uh, part one, looking at chapters one and two of this uh, New Testament book, we talked about Christ's preeminence in the world and uh, the place that Jesus holds uh, not only in the cosmos and in creation, but even in his standing uh, as uh, the second person of the Trinity, the God man, uh, the, uh, the one who has the name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And, and then Paul pivots in the second part, in chapters three and four, uh, to our relationships and how Christ is to be preeminent, the first and foremost in, in, in all of our relationships. And over the last two weeks, we've talked about uh, the relationship we have with ourselves. And how Christ's preeminence will impact our our fight with sin. And uh, also that same preeminence will allow us to uh, put on righteousness and holy living uh, in all that we uh, say and do. And for the rest of the book, Paul is going to address Christ's preeminence in each of those relationships outside of ourselves. He's going to talk today about husbands and wives. He's going to talk next week uh, to us about uh, parents and children. And then after that, slaves and masters or employees and employers in our setting. And then he'll talk about our relationship and Christ's preeminent place in our relationship with uh, unbelievers, how we ought to pray and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and then we'll close the book out in seeing Christ's preeminence in our relationship as fellow co-workers in the faith and in the ministry of Our Lord Jesus Christ. But this morning, we come and bring our attention to one of the most vital of all. Uh, relationships, the relationship between a husband and as a wife. And, and as we bring uh, about a message on this subject, there are some points of clarity that need to be laid forth at the beginning. Because if I don't do this, some of you might be disappointed in what you hear. Uh, maybe I will not speak on something that you may think is important. So I just want to share with you five points, just very quickly, of clarity of where I'm going and why I'm addressing the things I am And then we'll jump right into our passage this morning. The first point of clarity that I want you to understand is I want you to recognize this morning as you look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3 where wives are called to submit to husbands and husbands are called to love their wives. I want to remind you our passage is very short. And because our passage is short, we need to be careful uh, on this subject of marriage, not to allow our passage to become, in essence, just a springboard to other passages in the Scripture, uh, speaking and trying to address in one sermon all of the facets and factors that a couple has to face today in marriage. Paul isn't giving a marriage enrichment conference, but a short and concise calling for the Christian household, for Christian husbands and Christian wives to live out. And so I'm going to try to stay as focused as I can on what Paul says in the text and not try to draw out more principles in that. Number two, I want to remind you that Paul is speaking to hundreds of people, if not thousands or millions because of it being recorded in Holy Scripture. But I want to remind you that as Paul writes to a general audience, so I am speaking to you, a general audience, as I did in the first service and so I want to be careful that I cannot address this morning every situation that may be present in your marriage or my marriage or, or our marriages as a whole. And so we're going to speak specifically on what Paul has addressed and, and just learn on those truths. And, and I recognize if there's questions or issues that maybe this starts to spark, you may need to seek out some help and, and guidance to some of the answers that the Scriptures lay forth. Number three, I want to remind you that Paul speaks nothing about singleness, about dating, about being divorced or, or widowed. And in this message, I would love to address some of those things, and we've done so in, in sermons in the past, and you can go to our website to hear those. Uh, but Paul doesn't talk about them, and because of that, I, I won't be addressing them, not because they're not important, not because you're not important and, and your struggles or your searching or, or uh, struggles in life uh, aren't something that we're sensitive to, it's just not in the text this morning, and we want to stay true to what uh, the text is articulating on that. And again, if you're seeking uh, help in that, um, please come and talk with us after the service. Number four, just a reminder that these truths that we're going to see are, are commands that are given to Christians, people who desire a deep relationship with God and and Jesus Christ. And and while we would want these to be a part of society as a whole, uh, it does not say, uh, husbands of Colossae, the city of Colossae, love your wives. Wives of the city of Colossae, submit to your husbands. Uh, This is written to the church at Colossae, to children of the king, uh, the children of God who are in a a local church setting. And so uh, these are things we need to hear, we need to address. It would be great for all of the world to, to live out this way, but we need to recognize that there's a good chance they will not, but we are called to it. And finally, and this is an important one, as I shared in the first service, please, 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 and add 100 pleases to that. Do not use my words as a way to fight with one another after the service. If you do, and I hear about it, I will preach a sermon for you next week that you will not like, and, uh, and it's about your kids, and I'll have all the kids in here and say, do whatever you want, make your parents' life totally difficult, you got your pastor's blessing. So don't do it, you don't want that kind of sermon next week, don't use this, don't say, you know, listen, when I start talking to the wives and I'll address them first, husbands, don't go amen as I say that. And, and when I talk to husbands, wives, don't start clapping and say, yeah, preach it, brother, okay? Uh, these are truths that we need to all take a look, and I'll talk about this later in the message. We need to look at them through our own lives and, and through our own um, understanding of who we are and, and leave the other person uh, in the hands of God. Let's uh, turn to God's Word this morning. I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we'll ask God's blessing. We'll jump right into this. Here's what Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Father God, it's good to laugh, it's good to see um, some of the struggles that we have in communicating with one another. But Lord, we know that you have called us uh, to not only communicate with one another, but to deeply relate to one another as husbands and as wives. And Lord, we need your strength to do that. And so I pray that through your word this morning, through my humble attempts and, uh, to uh, address this subject, that you would be glorified and that your church, and the couples that are represented here, all of us would be, would be encouraged, equipped, and and, and sent out to, to live lives differently so that we may honor you in every relationship that we have, especially today, our relationship with our spouses. Lord, I pray that that would be the Um, the goal, and, and that would be the conclusion as we seek your face this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to jump right into my outline, which you can follow along in the pew or in the uh, sermon insert in your bulletin. But I want to look at this issue of husbands and wives under three headings. And the first one, the thing we got to understand right, off, right out of the get-go is we've got a problem, and our problem is culture. And we need to understand this morning the problem with culture with regards to uh, marriages and and the relationship of husbands and wives. And we need to recognize this morning that marriage is under attack now. Before you amen that and say, yes, uh, marriage is under attack like never before, I want to remind you that the Bible tells us that marriage has been under attack since the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, we see a wonderful thing take place. We have man with the animals in a perfect garden, and he's lonely. There's no helper suitable for him, and God in his grace and his goodness gives him a helpmate. Her name is Eve, and, and after putting him into deep sleep and taking a rib of his and making out of that rib a, a partner, a life mate uh, for a- Adam, uh, Adam comes out of that slumber, and as I've articulated before in the, in my translation of the Hebrew language, when Adam wakes up and he sees Eve, he, he announces to all in the garden, hot diggity dog, this is great. This is what I've been looking for. This is this is what I need in life. I have someone to relate with and involve, and, 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 and a marriage ceremony takes place. God says you're going to be a one flesh relationship, and you're going to live life together, and you're going to do life together, and that togetherness is going to be seen as you uh, are fruitful and multiply and, and have children, and, and you are just going to enjoy the favor of God. What I've put together, God says, let no man tear apart, and God in that moment, in that first wedding ceremony, elevate the marital relationship above all other earthly relationships but the problem is, is in that garden wasn't just god and the animals and adam and eve in that garden was one who was listening named the devil and the devil saw god elevate this relationship and the devil knew exactly where he was going to attack and the devil said i'm going to go after them and and right after the honeymoon is over The devil divides and conquers. That's what he always does, listen. it's what he always will do in couples. He will divide and conquer. And he goes and he speaks to the woman and he deceives the woman. And and the husband, not playing his part and doing his job, he follows the steps into deception. And and fully knowing what, what God had commanded him to do in the garden, he goes against it, rebels against God's laws, And God comes and begins to bring the punishment for their rebellion. And in that moment, I want you to recognize that that the first relationship that is hindered by sin is our relationship with God. They go running for the hills. They're afraid to see God. But then the second relationship, on the heels of their relationship being broken with God, their relationship as husbands and wife are, are torn apart. Because the first thing that Adam is asked of God is, Adam, what's going on here? And Adam does what every bad husband does. He throws his wife under the bus. His response to God is this. Hey, God, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. So it's your fault. It's your fault, God. You gave me this broken creature. She blew it for me, and then I'm going to blame my wife. And bad husbands have been doing that uh, throughout history. And then the second thing that you need to be aware of is that when God comes knocking, Adam and Eve start covering themselves. And they cover themselves not to God, but towards one another. They start covering up the differences in their bodies from one another, because now sin has caused them to be filled with shame and and filled with a desire to to cover and conceal instead of being open and free without shame. And so I want you to know this morning that our struggle with marriage, our struggle with a culture that hates marriage, is, is from the garden. And while there may be seasons where marriage has found its place Um, being relegated even farther and farther into the garbage can. We need to recognize that the Bible is clear that marriages have struggled for some time. Throughout the Bible, we see marriages. And God, I love in His Word, is so honest about relationships and about marriages. Some of the greatest men and women of faith had absolutely difficult marriages. They struggled, and they did some of the most heinous sins of betrayal and hurt and brought so much sorrow to their spouses, and the Bible records it for us as a way to give us hope that we're not in this alone. But the Bible doesn't say in our sinful flesh, we'll never have a good marriage. We need to be reminded that in the Old Testament, smack dab in the middle of the Old Testament, is an entire book, the Song of Solomon, dedicated to the celebration of marriage, to the celebration of oneness between a husband and wife. And so God says because of his grace and because of his word, a man, a sinful man and a sinful woman can come together and be united in marriage and enjoy the bliss of that and the blessing of that if they would in fact turn their attention to the one who created them. And so we have this culture within us that says marriage is always going to be a problem. Marriage is always going to be difficult. And the way that the devil does it, as he did in the garden, was he allows two enemies of his arsenal, if you will, uh, to attack us. Number one, he does so through marriage by using external conflict. External conflict. Write that down in your outlines. We live in a time where marriage is being redefined and being relegated to something very different than what God intended. And I don't just mean in the easy spotting of that in our culture today. What it means is even today, you and I, because we're involved in this culture, have a warped idea of what real marriage looks like and how we are to love our spouses as God has intended us to. And we've allowed marriage to become something that's selfish, something that's temporary, something that is defiled in all sorts of different ways. And we need to understand that we need to be careful this morning not to allow culture as a whole to lead us, but Christ to do that. But what causes this to happen? What causes us to hurt those that we say we love? Paul recognizes in our passage that if you and I are going to have an impact in the kingdom uh, for God in this world, then we cannot allow our personal lives to look different than our testimony. So we cannot say Christ is preeminent this morning and then go live heinous lives of marriage with our spouses. We can't do that, and Paul says that's got to be changed. He's telling the Christians in Colossae that their marriage matters. It matters to God, it matters to each other, and it matters for their testimony in the world. And so in these two verses, he gives us a reminder in verse 17 of our text that whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do all things in the name of Christ. Listen, whether that's towards a stranger or whether that's towards A spouse. Our marriages are to be done each and every day in the name of Christ. Now this downward spiral that we've involved ourselves in seemingly has escalated and accelerated in in my generation of growing up. Now while marriage and, and issues of divorce and abuse have been around for centuries, it sure does seem that for whatever reason in Western culture, Marriage has found itself falling a terrible fall into depravity. And it's seen in the use of a song. In 1955, Frank Sinatra introduced the world to a relatively obscure song called Love and Marriage. The song had simple lyrics but a catchy melody. And with the velvety voice of of Sinatra, it became an instant hit And some may say that it embraced a biblical understanding of what marriage was to look like. It went like this, love and marriage, love and marriage. They go together like a horse and carriage. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. It's love and marriage, love and marriage. It's an institute you can't disparage. Ask the local gentry, and they will say it's elementary. So try, try, try to separate them. It's an illusion. Try, 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 and you will come to one conclusion. That love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Dad was told by mother, you can't have one without the other. It would have done Sinatra some good to listen to those words and live by them. But while this disharmony has been around, I grew up in a culture, for the most part, that saw Sinatra songs as a norm. As I watched television, I would see, for the most part, within television sitcoms, husbands and wives caring for one another. And and that would have been seen, especially at 7 o'clock on NBC, uh, on Thursday nights with The Cosby Show. You remember Cliff and Claire Huxtable? The fictional characters... And almost every week at some point in there, while the, the family life at times was chaotic and, and all different issues were going on, at some point Cliff and Claire would just love on one another. Whether it's eating an anniversary cake or, or rubbing Claire's toes, they were showing one another affection all the time. And I was able to see that in my own relationship with my parents as they related in love towards one another. But something happened on uh, April 5, 1997, the year that Amanda and I got married. Something, something took place. The, the country was introduced to a dysfunctional Chicago family that would redefine marriage and, and what it looked like. On the Fox network, marriage with, married, married with Children would chronicle the lives of Al and Peg Bundy. And how ironic they would use the Sinatra song, Love and Marriage, as the introductory, introductory title song. And they would use it as a satire because viewers would meet Al Bundy, who was a washed-up high school sports athlete, now turned shoe salesman, who was lazy, perverted, and, and as, if you ever saw the show, he was just plain stupid. He held no moral compass, He was content to argue with his wife, drink beer, leer, and harass younger women, and just live a lazy life. One TV critic said, finally, for the first time, a real all-American husband has been introduced to society. Are you kidding me? Husbands are to be like Al Bundy? Well, he was married to Peg. And Peg was a wife who was always on his case about money, refusing to do any domestic work whatsoever in the family. She was lazy, she was a loudmouth, and she spent most of her time uh, parked in front of a TV watching all manner of shows and delighting in robbing Al blind by fits of shopping. She was inattentive as a mother, she nagged constantly as a wife, and she used every opportunity to humiliate Al about his job, his meager earnings, and his manhood. Her taste for clothes and male strippers caused the family with Al's dysfunction to put it into total disrepair. A reoccurring joke in the series over and over and over again was Al mocking and regretting the very fact that he married Peg in the first place no matter who was in the room. And yet, amidst that, Peg was given high praise and honor from a feminist group saying that finally on TV we have a woman who has no need of a man. Now, I want to be careful and say that no one TV show doomed marriage. But I want you to show in a matter of really about 15 years what the United States, Western culture, understood as marriage changed dramatically. And we're swimming in that as Christians. And we need to understand that that we are grabbing, whether we know it or not, we are grabbing some of these things, and we say it's okay. And God's word today says that's not okay. And as a result of that, we need to be moved and changed. That external conflict has, has done its damage. But I want you to also know the Bible uh, tells us that the devil doesn't just deal with culture. He also deals and fights us as believers, and he does so through internal confusion. This comes as a direct result of the first enemy, and it runs deeper than that. And that is that we as husbands and wives have an have internal confusion. We lack the wisdom and understanding of what it means to be a godly spouse. One of my biggest frustrations of Christian parents today is that we spend so much time and energy in the education of our children, in the athletic pursuits of our children, and and the pursuits of the fine arts. They can play instruments, they can sing basketballs, and, and they can do their ABCs. And we feel like we've done a great job in raising them. But one area that we speak nothing of is what it means to find a spouse and what it means to be a godly spouse. And we wonder why our children will grow up struggling just as we did. Well, what causes that? Well, as a pastor, I've married many, many Christian couples in my years here as, as the pastor. And each time, Amanda and I will sit down and we'll do some extensive counseling with them. And one of the questions I will ask every couple that I do premarital counseling with is, tell me one thing that your mom and dad did in their marriage that you want to take into your marriage. Can I tell you, almost 50% of Christian couples said there wasn't a single redemptive thing. Thing that their parents did, that they would want to take into their own relationship. We've got a problem, and the problem is, is we're not modeling what it means to be godly husbands and what it means to be godly wives. And what an opportunity for the church for older men to teach younger men, for older women to teach younger women. But in order for us to have the right to teach, we've got to be doing this right in our homes, or we're hypocrites. There's no doubt that in our text, Paul had heard of external conflict and internal confusion going on in the church at Colossae. He wouldn't have written these words if it wasn't something. If all the marriages were great, then why address it? Why not just say, you're doing great over here? He says that in other parts of the text. So there's no doubt, without evidence speculate any, that, that marriage was struggling in Colossae. And it's struggling in Village Bible Church as well. So what do we do? Paul says, all right, culture's not the way to go. We have to turn to Scripture. And notice our second point is that Paul says, hey, if we want Christ to be preeminent, we've got to start living out practices that the Bible commands. The Bible commands us to do some things. And we are called to do them. And, and in short order, with very few words, Paul does exactly what married, says exactly what married couples need. What, what is foundational to every marriage. And the amazing thing is, though Paul was single, and he wrote 2,000 years ago through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he addresses now what atheists, secular psychologists say are the foundational needs of a man and woman. For the man, they will say, respect is something that allows a man to see his value and empowers him to play his part. For women, they naturally uh, desire love, which allows them to thrive and flourish in their relationships. And here Paul's addressing it. Now I want to give you a couple observations about this text and then deal with each of the commands that are given. First of all, I want you to notice with these two commands, wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving your wives, that neither person is left alone. What I mean by that is that Paul addresses wives and says, okay, wives, you've got some work to do. Your job is to submit. He doesn't then turn and say, and husband's doing a great job. Awesome. No advice or command is necessary. He does what is true in the saying, what is good for the goose is good for the gander. And he addresses both of them quite fairly and equitably. Number two, each are given commands or jobs that are easily sabotaged by selfishness. So while the jobs or or, or callings are different, one to submit, one to love, both will be sabotaged if a wife or husband lives a selfish life. A selfish wife will not submit to her husband. A selfish husband will not love his wife. And so this is why we need to look at ourselves, not the other, because there's a good chance that we're sabotaging our marriage and we don't even know it because of selfishness. Because we are preeminent, Christ isn't. Number three, each command comes with a reason for the command. One is that wives, you are to do this because it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, you are to love so you are not harsh with your wives. And we'll talk about each of those in a moment. Number four. Both commands are given without caveats of any sort. And so Paul assumes, and by the way, the Holy Spirit, through his inspiration, assumes that wives can do their job and husbands can do their job. So there isn't, okay, if you're able to, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, if you're able to, submit. no, he says, you're able to do these things. I've commanded you to do them. And you're going to be able to do them because they are possible. That you are capable of it. Finally, and most importantly, each of these commands are given. Listen, a wife is called to submit to her own husband. And husbands are to love their own wives. Do not do what liberals want us to think, that Paul wrote women subject yourself to men, and men love women. Wives, submit to your own husband, underline own, bold own, whatever, and husbands, love your own wives. That's important that we remember that. So with all that in mind, let's look at the first command. Wives, submit to the leadership of your husband. What does that mean? In a world that's messed that so much up, how, what, do, what do we do with that? The word submit is the Greek word hupotasso. Very common word. It was a word used in military jargon. It was a term <clears throat> in the military that spoke of soldiers lining up to, uh, according to rank. And so you'd have the privates and then the captains and then uh, the sergeants and uh, the corporals and, and uh, lieutenants and all the colonels and, and generals all in a line. I don't, I'm sure I didn't get that right, but I'm a civilian, so uh, am I, I'm not aware close, am I Ed? Yeah, I didn't think so, okay? Second service, I start losing things in the second service. But what we need to recognize is, while they may have different responsibilities and even different authorities, the private, I know for sure, on one side and the five-star general on the other side have equal standing before God. There's equality. There's equality in significance. And so we need to recognize this morning, uh, when we talk about submission, we are not talking about an inferiority. But I want to be clear. Notice in the text, God is the one who is talking to both husbands and wives. And so when, when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Listen to me. God is the one doing the talking. So so let me be clear with you, husbands. Keep your mouth shut. The scriptures never say that it's your job to tell your wife to submit. That's between God and his daughters. And just from a practical standpoint, as a manager in a business, Uh, Early on, uh, my dad was was working with me, and, and I told one of my employees, someone said, well, why do I have to do it? And I said, because I'm the boss. And my dad pulled me aside and said, hey, just a quick piece of wisdom. If you have to tell people you're the boss, you're not the boss. Husbands, if you have to tell your wives to submit, it is not a reflection on your wife's lack of submission. It is a lack of your leadership. But wives, recognize this morning that when it says submit to your own husbands, God is saying that there is an authority there. Just as he will tell children to obey their parents, they are to obey an authority. Just as we are called to serve well our masters and our employers, there's an authority there. Just as we're told in other passages to submit to governing authorities, there is a real authority there. Your husband has been given real authority to lead the family. And your calling is to submit. Now, I don't know why God said that wives if you struggle with that and I can understand why you would that's something to take up with God that's your first question when you get to heaven why but here's what I do know the Bible makes it abundantly clear that wives are to be subject to their husbands that the husbands are to lead now, one thing that we see within that is not just the many admonitions about that and exhortations about that, but we also recognize that when you submit to your husbands, you are living out likeness. The Bible says over and over again that Jesus submitted voluntarily, laying down his life over and over again in his humanity in submission to the Father. And what that meant was God didn't drag Jesus kicking and screaming to do what God had called the Son to do here on earth. Nowhere do you see Jesus say, well, I'm my own man, Father. You can't tell me what to do. In fact, in Mark 14, 36, paraphrase, literally, he says, I will submit myself to the will of the Father when he says, not my will, but your will be done. And that's the calling for wives, but also with authority comes responsibility. And husbands, let me remind you that because your wives have been called to submit to you, listen, you will one day be held accountable to how you led your wife and your family. And God will judge you. He will judge me. What Paul is articulating here is order. Order. There is to be order within the family. God recognizes we need order or there will be chaos in our lives. And so he says, since the beginning and all throughout the scriptures, men, lead your families well, and women, wives, follow their leadership. Now before you think it's a demotion, let me remind you that submission is seen in the Godhead. We've seen it in the humanity of Christ, but let me take it a little farther. Write this passage down for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 11.3 1 Corinthians 11.3. Study it when you get home and you'll see what I'm saying. Some of you might say right now, but Tim, are you saying I'm not equal with my husband? That I'm not as smart as my husband? That I can't lead as well as my husband? That I'm not as spiritual as my husband? That, that my biblical knowledge isn't to the same place my husband's is? No, I'm not saying that at all. In some ways, sadly, men, women knock it out of the ballpark spiritually compared to some of us. But I want you to recognize the order that God has placed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So here's how the pecking order goes. Every man is accountable to Christ. Every wife is accountable to her husband. And listen. Jesus Christ is accountable to God the Father. You may say, wait a minute. Isn't Jesus God? Isn't he equal with the Father? Yes, he's equal. Was there a time when God the Father existed and Jesus didn't? No. Don't they have the same power, intellect, and work all things together? Yes. Is God the Father greater than God the Son? No. But amidst all of that, the Son submits to the Father. And likewise, just as the Son submits to the Father, wives submit to their husbands. And it's not because of a lack of intellect, spiritual, physical, or emotional abilities. As I've said, men and women are equal in God. They are equal, but they are different. And they complement one another in a way that brings order to it. So just as Christ is equal to the Father, He submits to the Father in function, not in being or essence. And that's done so that the Trinity, God Himself, the three persons of that triune nature of who God is, can deal responsibly and orderly with the created world. What does it mean then that it's fitting to the Lord in our text. That means God has called you to this task. Not husbands, we addressed that already. For wives, submission to their husbands is is their lot in the Christian life. When a wife, went literally, when a wife does not obey this word to submit to her own husband, she doesn't just fall short of being a wife, she falls short of being a follower of Christ. That means the command to submit is totally out of the realm of her nature or her personality. So what you can't say is, if I was the submissive type, then I would submit. If I was a little more passive as a woman, then then it wouldn't be a problem, but I'm I'm a pretty feisty lady. I'm empowered. No, all types of women are called in the marriage relationship to submit. Secondly, remember, this has nothing to do with your husband's intelligence, giftedness, or capability. This is a command, and this is regarding your relationship with Christ. It's honoring him. Just as he'll talk about that we aren't just to uh, please our earthly masters through eye service, but we are serving our masters unto the Lord. He's really our master. This has nothing to do with whether your husband is right on a particular issue. It has to do with Jesus being right. And that means, that means for our younger women in this place, if you are having difficulty in understanding what it means to submit to a man who is going to be your husband, then choose your husband carefully. Choose a man not because he's attractive or because he's wealthy or because he's romantic. Choose a man who lives such a way that it's easy to respect him. Now, before I move from this idea of submission, and I know I've spent a lot of time here, let me say this right away. Um, when can I not submit? I know people are going to ask this question. Every time we preach a message on this, we've got to go with these disclaimers. I hate doing it, but we live in sin, so we must. Listen, the Bible reminds us over and over again, whether it's governing authorities, bosses, parents, or husbands, those who are called to submit are to submit And to do it as often as they can. Now, if the husband tells you to do something that's contrary to God's word, then you are to respectfully and humbly say, I cannot do this. You're causing me to sin. Don't ask me to do something that will dishonor myself or dishonor my God. I recognize we live in a world of sin, and there are terrible men and terrible husbands in this world, so I'd be remiss in this issue of submission not to talk about abuse quickly. Let me tell you something. If your husband's abusing you or your children or he's threatening to abuse you, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or physical, get out of the house at least for a season. If you have to, call the police. That's the governing authorities. If a husband abuses a wife, he should spend some time in jail. That's out of place. And listen, husbands, that's out of place for a Christian. We are not to be abusing women. We are to love them and care for them as equal partners in this covenant of grace God has given us. It goes without saying that if your marriage is in a troubled spot and it's hard for you to submit, seek the wisdom and counsel of godly peoples to know how to deal with that appropriately. But in all other situations, as far as it depends on you, submit. And if you can't, humbly ask God or seek the wisdom of others so that you can learn how. That's all I have for you, wives. Now, husbands, buckle your seatbelts. You need to love your wives sacrificially. Aren't you glad that God's assignments are never lopsided? That in this word of instruction and guidance, he gives a word uh, of equal strength not only to the wife but to the husband. And he says with all biblical authority, husbands, you are called to love your wives. Might I add, wives, you're never called to do that in scripture. But men, you are. And, and we recognize that mere natural love can easily turn into selfishness and then into bitterness. We recognize that this love is not based on us men. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ filled with grace and truth. And so the way that we show love is not based on us, but it's based on the work of Jesus Christ who loved us and who gave himself up as a ransom for us. Can I add that a husband who marks his life with love to his wife will have a wife who will have no difficulty in submitting to her husband. The word for love there is the Greek word agape. And it means that we love unconditionally and sacrificially as God loves the sinner and how he loves his own son. And what that means for us men is you cannot, I cannot love my spouse, love my wife the way that God intended unless I have a vibrant and healthy relationship with the Almighty. And so if you think that a bunch of flowers on Valentine's Day or Sweetest Day is going to get the job done, God says it ain't going to happen. That's a selfish love, a love that sees itself living Christ out is the kind of love each and every day we are called to show our spouse. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way, and I think this is marvelous. He says the Christian has continually in the Scriptures been called to love their neighbor as their self. And since the wife is the man's closest neighbor, she should, res- she should have reserved for herself his deepest love. So how does love get manifested? Husbands, listen, You are to delight in your wife. You are to please her in every way. You are to cherish her as Christ cherishes the church, offering and providing her support and comfort every day. You are to protect her as a weaker vessel... You are not to be bitter against her. You are not to use bitter words or sour looks or to act rudely or harshly with her as if she was a slave or an animal. But she's not. She's your companion and recipient of God's grace with you. You are to seek her physical, emotional, and spiritual good and you are to do so each and every day. What's the result? Paul says you won't be harsh with her. A husband must love his wife and not abuse her. There must have been a problem in Colossae because God doesn't mince words and he does not just add words for superfluous reasons. So there must have been a reason for God to have said this. And i got to imagine that there's a reason why it's not just to the letter of Colossians, but it's to the posterity of Christians, you and I, that Colossians three nineteen is a challenging word for the Christian man because God knows our tendency is to get angry. And when men get angry, listen, what I do when I get angry is I do not sulk by myself. I make everybody else disappointed and frustrated and mad. And husbands, we have that way. If I'm mad, everybody's going to be mad. Those are those moments, pardon me, pet lovers, where we kick the dog. Even the dog is going to know we're angry. And men, we have that. And what Paul says is men, be careful. While anger may not be a sin, when you allow that anger to foment and ferment in your life, it's going to come out. And where is it going to hit first and foremost? To the one who's closest with you. And so anger is going to come out, it's going to come out against your uh, uh, wives. And we're going to learn next week it's going to come out at your kids as well. So Paul says, love your wives. Don't be embittered against them. Don't be harsh with them, resentful. Don't abuse them. Don't hold hard feelings against them. Don't be sarcastic about them. In the Timbidal New Testament translation that's coming out by Tyndale this fall, I translate this verse this way, Husbands, stop being jerks. Don't treat your wife anything less than what she really is. A woman of utmost worth who deserves your love and devotion. And God is reminding us, men, we are not doing this. Oh, how easy is it for us to take our wives for granted? To not serve them, but to be selfish against them. He's speaking this about our wives who were called to love dearly. And this is a word we need to take seriously. You know, the Bible says that the church is to submit to Christ because he's the leader of the church. Well, how did Christ lead? He gave himself up for her by laying down his life so that she might be lifted up. Listen, Christ went to the cross so you and I might live. A godly husband lays down his life for his wife so that she may be raised up. Do you notice the absolute, I mean, Paul's a genius, and I'm so thankful God gave Paul these words. Are you noticing, wives, lay yourself low so you can submit to your husbands? Husbands, lay yourself low so that you can love your wife. Humility and and us going low for one another is what's gonna save the day in our marriages. It's not as if God's saying, wives, Get down and and, uh, and play your inferior parts, so the husbands can take. No, they're vying, if you will, to show deference towards one another where literally it's no after you, no, it's after you, no after you. And love and submission come as a result. So how do we illustrate this? I, I played in the, the band many years throughout uh, junior high and high school. And, and I, one thing I missed grow, from growing up was, was having those times in the in the band. There's something beautiful about a group of people, especially young people, getting together and playing instruments of all different kinds and producing incredible music out of it. And here's the thing that you need to know about husbands and wives. Husbands, you are to play a tune. And your job, listen, is to play the melody. The melody is loud. It is clear, you hear it, we in every song hear the melody, and it leads the day. And husbands, you are to lead, you are to play the tune that, that carries the, the, the music, if you will. But, but wives, you have a part just as important. Your job is to play the harmony. And I will tell you, it's a wonderful thing to hear a melody, but as I was listening to the song, Jesus, I am resting I don't know if you listen to our worship singers. They don't all sing the melody. There are beautiful harmonies being sung, and, and the harmony of the song takes the song from being good to outstanding. And so, husbands, your job is to play the melody, wives, your part is to sing the harmony. And when your voices come together, it is a glorious thing. And what we need in this church are couples who are singing melody and harmony, making beautiful music with one another because that's what God intended. He wants you to sing a duet with your partner because that's what he has made us to do. It will help the children. It will help society when we get this thing right. But sadly, many men have abdicated their role of singing melody and their wives have to pick up the job. Men, don't be lazy. Do what God has called you to in loving your wife so that your wife can know her job isn't to have to worry about the melody. She fills in with the beauty of the harmony. I pray that my wife's life and calling of submission is one of the easiest things that she has to do. That she might even say, I get to do that. Because I've shown her love and affection every day. And here's what I know I haven't. I've been harsh with her at times. I've been quick-tempered with her. And I'm thankful for a wife who loves Jesus and who recognizes that Jesus isn't done with her husband yet. I'll close with this, and I'm out of time. I was in the first service let me, let me give you some application in my third point and, and allow you to study it. We've gone over this, so I won't spend a lot of time breaking it down. But how do we get there? You've got to take the path. You've got to take the path that leads to Christ-honoring marriages. How do you do it? I want to use where we've been in the last couple weeks as our application. And I'm going to do this quickly. Number one, you want to have a Christ-honoring marriage? Elevate Christ as preeminent. I was told early on in my marriage that a marriage is is like a triangle and that each, each spouse is at the base of the triangle. But for any relationship to be healthy and godly, Christ must be at the apex of that triangle. And so the calling of every spouse is individually, their job is to get as close to Jesus as possible. And as each spouse goes and moves closer and closer to Jesus, the closer and closer they will become as they get closer to the apex, to Christ. The Bible says uh, that we are, in in the book of Colossians, that Christ is to be there at the apex of all that we say and do. That whether in word or deed, we do all things in the name of Christ Jesus. And so what that means is make Jesus the, the number one goal in your marriage. Number two. As you've heard this message this morning, evaluate your spouse. Evaluate yourself, not your spouse. I just blew that one. Evaluate yourself, not your spouse. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Husbands, wives, are you setting your mind on heavenly things or on earthly things? Husbands don't say, hey, you're doing a lousy job submitting, or, or husbands, wives don't say, husbands. You're blowing it with regards to your loving. Look at your own life and ask the question, I I'm not even worried about the person sitting next to me. Lord, how am I doing? What areas need to change in, in my life so that I can serve them well? Number three, evict the enemies of marriage from your life. Colossians 3, 5 through 11 says we got to put to death some things personally. And can I tell you, we need to put those things away for our marriage's sakes as well. Immorality's got to go. Lying and malice and slander, they got to be released from our lips because those things, if they're in our lives, they will come out and they will hurt the ones closest to us. They'll betray those that... That that we are called to love, and we need to rid ourselves of them. We got to kick them out of our life. We got to put them to death because they will sap the vitality of any godly marriage. Number four, extend forgiveness when you're wronged. Living with someone isn't easy. Just ask Amanda. It's not. I'm a mess. And if I know you well enough, so are you. we got idiosyncrasies, and we've got issues, and we've got all these. We're a broken, messy people. And I recognize that some of you have been hurt deeply by your spouse. You've been betrayed by your spouse. And Colossians 3, 13 and 14 tells us we are commanded to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. And there is some unforgiveness in our marriages this morning that need to be dealt with once and for all. And we need to seek one another's forgiveness and things. Please forgive me. I've wronged you. Please forgive me. And don't caveat it with, with, well, if you didn't do this or that, then I wouldn't have to do it. Just lay yourself at the mercy of your spouse and, and Jesus Christ and say, I've blown it. Please forgive me. If you can't, if it seems impossible, then that's where your elders and their wives are here to help you. We want to serve you. We want to help you to allow forgiveness to take place. And it may mean some things. I get it. It, it may not just be forgive and forget. There, there may be some difficult days ahead, but God wants us to forgive one another. Number five, we need to equip ourselves through God's Word. We need to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly as spouses. We need to allow the Word of God to teach us and admonish us so that we can have the peace of Christ in our hearts. The church has some incredible resources, Bible-based resources that will help. One great book that's, that's relatively new is a book by Timothy Keller and his wife called The Meaning of Marriage. Get your hands on it. It's an outstanding book. We've done, and, and if you would like, talk with one of the elders or, or talk with me, uh, we've got a series that we do called Marriage on the Rock, a phenomenal biblically-based marital uh, resource that helps. we get a couple families together, we'll do that. We'll lead that. We'll be excited to be a part of it, to help husbands and wives understand what God's Word is for them. And let me close with this. Enjoy the blessing of having a spouse. I get your spouse isn't perfect. You're not either. I get at times your spouse is hard to live with. So are you. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Can I change the Bible for a moment? Can I say that it's true, wives, that when you find a husband, you find a good thing? So don't leave this place in this day without recommitting your love to one another. It's an old hairband rock and roll song that said, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And I think that some of us would be broken hearted because we will have lost a great thing if our spouse wasn't there. And so start enjoying living with your spouse. Do the hard work. It's a blessing. It may not feel like it right now, but no blessing comes without hard work except for the grace of God. And so we need Him in our lives. We need Him to teach us and train us because God never says that we're going to live happily ever after. What He does say, though, is if we serve Him and honor Him and serve and honor our spouse, God promises that He blesses those who are obedient. And who of us doesn't need some blessing from God in our marriages? So take these words, be sensible people, don't use them against one another, but allow them to permeate your lives so that everything we do can be done in the name of Christ and for His glory and His praise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the patience and kindness of your people and and listening to me speak on a subject that I fail at so miserably at times. I pray that you would strengthen the marriages of this place. For those who find themselves not married, Lord, I pray that they can apply these truths in their own lives and in significant ways. I pray that they can encourage, whether it's as children, to their parents and encouraging them to love one another. If it's our singles helping us, even this week in our small group, some of the singles in our group did a a phenomenal job, Lord, at at encouraging and admonishing husbands and wives. But Lord, this word is especially um, pointed to spouses. And so I pray that there's not a single spouse here today who would leave without this impacting their hearts melt our hearts to you first and then to our spouse lord if if that's impossible from a human standpoint lord i pray by your spirit you would empower people to humble themselves and seek the help they need you want us to honor you with everything including our marriages and so i pray that we'll do that beginning today because of what your word says Thank you, Lord, for showing us what it means to be a godly spouse. As you've loved your church, even though we've gone our own way, you've been faithful to us. And let us live in light of that example so that we may honor our spouses and honor you in all that we do. Now lead us forth from this place in the fellowship of the Lord and in the joy of you, our strength. And we give it all to you in your son's precious name. Amen.